This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif. When many of us were younger, TV and movies were full of moments where some hapless character would be walking along in some new exotic place. They'd take a wrong step and then they just start to slowly get slurped down into the earth. Quicksand was in so many movies. And, and, and it makes total sense why, right? Like the, the sucking, sinking, inevitable drawn outness of it. That's just universally terrifying, right? Turns out, nope. In 2013, journalist Dan Engber pulled our editor Soren Wheeler into his obsession with quicksand and its surprisingly deep resonances through history. What it all reveals is that what we fear and how we articulate those fears are a lot more shifty and sandy than you might think. So now, for no other reason than that we wanted to, uh, we're playing that episode for you again. Quicksand! Enjoy. Yeah, you're, wait, wait, you're listening. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening to Radio Lab. Radio Lab. From WNYC. Rewind. Hey, I'm Jad Abumran. I'm Robert Krulwich. This is Radio Lab. We do have an interesting podcast for you. We do indeed. Soren Wheeler is standing by because he and I had a conversation with someone. We can just yes. You yeah. Do you want to do, do you want to carry it, Soren? Sure. Do it. So today we have a story of an obsession that swallowed reporter Dan Engber pretty much whole. Yeah. <laughs> Of all the things to catch your attention, how did this happen to pop into your head? It happened to pop into my head because I was talking to a friend of mine who's an elementary school teacher, and we were discussing quicksand, as as one does. Oh, of course. <laughs> this elementary school teacher and I. And she just said, you know, the kids in my class just don't even, they don't, they've never heard of quicksand. Like second graders, third grade, like what? Nine-year-olds? Nine-year-olds. Well, that's graders? like fourth graders. That's prime time for quicksand. Right. When I was nine, quicksand was a major part of my life. Yeah. We would, you know, pour water in the corner of the sandbox and say, oh, it's quicksand. <laughs> but your, the, your teacher friend's students didn't. Right. But so I went to, to her. I visited her class. And I discovered that she was wrong. Almost all of them had heard of quicksand. But she was right insofar as quicksand was not important to them. In fact, they thought it wasn't scary at all. I mean, I was like, well, what are you afraid of? And they said, you know... Zombies, the alien in Pacific Rim, uh, ghosts. When I was actually lost in writing, being attacked by a dinosaur, that would be totally more scary. So we actually went and talked to some third graders, and while some of them said... Well, I guess it's sort of scary, but... Most of them weren't scared of it at all. I don't think so. I usually don't think about it. They thought it was something that maybe their parents had been afraid of. Dad told me that when he was little, his friends always said, like, look out, that could be quicksand. Did your friends ever say that to you? No. 
<laughs> they would say people used to be scared of that, but it's not scary anymore. Hmm. So that got me to thinking, what happened? Why is quicksand not scary the way it used to be? And with that simple question, Dan got sucked into a world he never even knew existed. So the next step was going to the internet, and within a minute, I discovered the quicksand fetish community. The quicksand um, fetish? Yeah. Like fetish fetish? Like sex fetish? Yes. Oh. So the, so in the quick, among the quicksand fetishists, there are so-called sinkers. These are people who seek out quicksand in nature and want to jump in. With another person and kiss or, or, or by themselves with no clothes on? Or, or where's the sex part? Uh, some of them by themselves with no clothes on. Some smaller group with another person that's they can convince their partner to come with them. But, but, but I, they always have a rope with them, I hope. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you go if you go onto the sinker's message boards, there's a Google map which has sinking spots all over the world, and each one is rated for, you know, thickness, depth, privacy, available parking nearby. <laughs> I mean, it's a really, it's like a, a, a very thought through and, and wonderfully collaborative community. Oh, wow. So there's sinkers in one hand, and then there are the watchers. They just want to see people or animals sinking into quicksand. So they'll watch movies and just find the quicksand sequence in the movie. And here's where Dan sunk even deeper. Because he discovered that one of these watchers... This guy, Crypto... ...had, in the course of his fetishistic quicksand watching... ...collated this, you know, this list of, of well over a thousand quicksand scenes... It's quicksand! ...in film and television. Quicksand. Quicksand. Is this part of the country? No way. That's all right. There were scenes going all the way back to the birth of filmmaking. I told you. I mean, this is the greatest impetus for scientific research... Take off your shoe and you. If, you, if you have like a fetishistic interest in the data. And Dan thought maybe this data can give us a clue about how the way we think about quicksand has changed. So I went through and I, I pulled out every feature film from the list. And then with information from the MPAA, I figured out how many movies were being released every decade. And then I sort of computed a, like what percent of movies had quicksand in every decade. Going back to uh, the first quicksand movie they have is from 1909. It's a silent film where a a woman gets rescued from quicksand by some hooded monks. I'm (laughs) unable to find this movie, but I'd love to see it. I don't know what it's about. Um, But anyways, I I started looking at the number of movies by decade, and at the beginning of the century, it's like one in a thousand movies. By the 30s, it's up to 1 in 500. And then in the 40s, 1 in 200. And then in the 1960s, all of a sudden, it just shoots up. Like 1 in 35. Like almost 3% of Hollywood movies have quicksand. The 1960s are just clearly a moment for quicksand. And Dan says, it wasn't just the number of films. The quicksand scenes that showed up in the 60s were serious dramatic scenes. For example, Lawrence of Arabia, where Peter O'Toole is, you know, pushing through the dust storm to try to save his companion who's being sucked under. That movie won seven Oscars. And then 
Woman in the Dunes came out, this like artsy Japanese existentialist meditation. And for about the next 10 years, Dan says, you had all these serious films that featured quicksand. And then it fell off dramatically. In the 1970s, it's already fallen to something like one out of 75. And then by the 1980s, it's like one out of 130. And then in the 90s, quicksand is mostly gone. Huh. And I think also in the 80s, it had migrated into television. I'm stuck in quicksand. Boy, are you having one bad day. Larry and Balky and Perfect Strangers are falling into quicksand. There's quicksand in My Little Pony. There's quicksand in Rainbow Pride. I mean, it's zany quicksand. Basically, Dan says, quicksand had become a joke. And so, and that's the end, I think, when, when quicksand's in, you know, Saturday cartoons. <laughs> I think, I do think that adventure gags probably have um, a lifespan. And so just for a gut check, Dan and I decided maybe we should run this past somebody who knows the business. I'm Carlton Cuse, and I'm a television writer and producer. And Carlton was actually the showrunner for the TV show Lost. And that's a show that, by rights, should have tons of quicksand. I mean, Absolutely. Should, they should be in quicksand all the time. They're, on, they're stranded on a tropical island. It's an adventure show. But according to Carlton, whenever one of the writers would say, you know... Okay, so Kate goes running down a path, and then all of a sudden she falls into a pit of quicksand. The rest of them would be like... Um... Um... Uh, I don't know if we can really pull that off. So, What is you know. that? Like, what is it that would make that not, I don't know. You know, I just think a lot of people would sort of be rolling their eyes and not, and not buying it. That's, I know it sounds, it sounds kind of crazy because, you know, here you are making sort of a crazy show with smoke right. monsters and polar bears and time travel. And for someone to say, no, 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 but we don't believe quicksand. <laughs> I know it's, um, but Ultimately, you just sort of trust your gut. And it's just right now where quicksand is just not sort of, I think, the right metaphor for how we're all feeling. But in the 60s, it was. Has someone speculated as to the reason why the 60s? Oh, I've, I've speculated uh, at great length. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a fascinating moment because it's not just in movies. I believe that this nation should commit itself. So at, to you know, we're planning the moon mission in the early 60s. Landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. And this Cornell astronomer named Thomas Gold says, what if when the Apollo lander descends to the surface of the moon, it just sinks into a lunar quicksand? I remember this. I you remember, do. I remember Tom Gold saying that, too. Yeah, so right at this golden moment of quicksand, people are discussing real-life quicksand on the frontier of that era. Now is the time. And then 1963, Martin Luther King now is the time. makes his I Have a Dream speech. To lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice. He says now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice. This evening, and then I came here to speak to you about Vietnam. There was Vietnam. I do not have to tell you that our people are profoundly concerned about that struggle. You know, we now think of Vietnam 
as having been a quagmire. That's the rhetoric that's used now. But the debate in the 60s between Daniel Ellsberg and Arthur Schlesinger, uh, they use quicksand and quagmire interchangeably. They just, Ellsberg will switch off in one essay. He'll call it a quicksand and then a quagmire. But the first use of that idea was to describe it as a quicksand, and then it, it kind of migrates from being a quicksand to a quagmire over the course of the late 60s and early 70s. And now, I mean, more evidence. Now we call it a quagmire. We forgot that Vietnam was a quicksand before it was a quagmire. So on all of these levels, quicksand is just, you know, is part of these key moments of this 1960s. Wow. So the question that, you know, that was just, I was obsessed with for a long time was, why did America fall into quicksand in the 1960s? I mean, did it come out of the movies and suddenly everyone's talking about it? Or was everyone talking about yeah, it? And so maybe everybody saw Lawrence of Arabia and they all went back to their jobs. Right. Some were <laughs> on rocket ship jobs and some were on warrior jobs and they all just carried Peter O'Toole in their heads. It's possible, I suppose. That's possible. Who knows? I My sense is that it it's had to do with just sort of a generalized anxiety about going someplace radically new. Anxiety about, you know, the hubris of traveling to the moon. Anxiety about social upheaval. Anxiety about the foreign entanglement of, of Vietnam and the state of geopolitics. But why, why would that, those anxieties manifest themselves in terms of like quicksand. Why well, I think it's this idea that you're going to get sucked in. You're going to go too far. You're going to get stuck in whatever new world you've, you've ventured into. And right now, there isn't that anxiety of exploration anymore. I mean, quicksand in, in Shakespeare's time was always off the coasts of new continents. It had to do with the age of exploration. And then it became, you know, desert quicksand and jungle quicksand during colonial era. And I just think the world is... And then it became the moon. Yeah, and then it became the moon. And well, look at all the real estate that's beyond the moon. Come on. I mean, you got like our solar system. You could have the quicksand of Jupiter. Yes, absolutely. I think if we're going to land humans on some... Or black holes. Isn't black, aren't black holes a kind of quicksand? Yeah, this, this is my guarantee. If, if we're about to land humans on some planet, you know, beyond the moon, these thoughts of quicksand would reemerge. Oh, yeah. This is Carlton Cuse again. And now we're going to see this whole new chapter of Star Wars. And, and clearly... It just so happens that the director, J.J. Abrams, is working on a whole new Star Wars movie. Yes. And I think in the context of some strange new world, I think the audience would totally buy quicksand there. Yeah, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah. So I'll shoot J.J. an email and just say quicksand and just leave it at that see what happens <laughs> just a quick note since we did this story the new star wars films have come out and in fact in one scene an entire spaceship uh, a tie fighter to be precise sinks into the sand on a planet called jakku where apparently there's a whole region called the sinking fields Nima outpost is that way stay off kelvin ridge Keep away from the sinking fields in the north. You'll drown in the sand. So there you go. Thank you, Saren. Thanks, Saren. Yeah, no problem. Don't follow me. Town is that way. Radio Lab was created by Jad Abenrad and is edited by Soren Wheeler. Lulu Miller and Latif Nasser are our co-hosts. Susie Lechtenberg is our executive producer. 
Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Jeremy Bloom, Becca Bressler, Rachel Cusick, Akedi Foster Keys, W. Harry Fortuna, David Gable, Maria Paz Gutierrez, Sindhu Nyanasambandam, Matt Kielty, Annie McEwen, Alex Neeson, Sarah Kari, Anna Rascuet Paz, Sarah Sandback, Ariane Wack, Pat Walters, and Molly Webster, with help from Andrew Vinales. Our fact checkers are Diane Kelly, Emily Krieger, and Natalie Middleton. Hi, I'm Erica in Yonkers. Leadership's report for Radiolab Science Programming is provided by the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative, and the John Templeton Foundation. Foundational support for Radiolab was provided by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. There's a lot going on right now. Mounting economic inequality, threats to democracy, environmental disaster, the sour stench of chaos in the air. I'm Brooke Gladstone, host of WNYC's On the Media. Want to understand the reasons and the meanings of the narratives that led us here? And maybe how to head them off at the pass? That's On the Media's specialty. Take a listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>